Hello and welcome to Self-Doubt Sandwich, personal essays disguised as a weekly podcast. Practical stuff paired with witchy stuff along with a sandwich that will feed your body and maybe even your soul. Sometimes inspirational, sometimes desolate, always honest. I am your host, Aaron Branzell, and this is episode 9. My body is a temple, but my body is a bitch. It's time for self-doubt sandwich. This episode is dedicated to my neighbor's puppy. They bought him because their other dog died. Well, they have two dogs. Uh, One of them died. And so they have a really old dog and a really young puppy. And this young puppy is very long and short, like a dachshund, but doesn't look anything like a dachshund. He's got pit bull face and a... You know, uh, I can't think of the name for the color that it's like swirly gray and white and black and brown, all that stuff. Um, And big paws. And the older dog is teaching him how to bark at everybody. But sometimes when I stop by the fence and open up my palm and let the puppy lick me, he doesn't bark. He just whines and it's really cute. My small victory for this week is that I finished a rough draft of a short story. And that is not something that I could say was true probably since I graduated college. And Gretchen Rubin talks about the different tendencies that people have as far as how they respond to expectations. And I'm the tendency that needs like an external thing. Like I'm internally motivated for a lot of things, but when it comes to finishing something and doing something, trying to do something well that I really care about, being in college really helped for that. And once I graduated college almost 10 years ago, I had plans to go to grad school and pursue an MFA and and do all the things that people who wanted to be a writer would do. And I could sit here for hours and try to explain why that didn't happen, but I'll just leave it at... um, I don't have any regrets, but it is kind of crazy what I have either done or not done in service of another person's happiness, specifically another boy's happiness. Um, Not even like nobody explicitly told me like, if you go to grad school, I'm going to break up with you. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like, oh, to keep the peace, you know, to keep the status quo that whole dream kind of died. Plus, my beliefs around grad school also changed. And like, I know it can be super helpful and 
super required depending on your field. Um, but as it stands right now, the market is pretty soaked with people that have MFAs and in an alternate universe, it would be great to like go to school and just surround myself with other people who are writing and reading and, and trying to produce works of fiction like that. Um, but that's just not the life that I'm living right now and that's okay. But what wasn't okay was for me to continue to suppress this great passion. And I know this might sound dramatic, but like I truly feel like writing is why I'm here. Like that is my great work. And that's a lot of pressure. It's very intense. And so I think a lot of times I have found ways to try to avoid it. And let me be clear, I actually write every day, but that's just my, my, it's part of my daily practice as far as like just like three pages of personal journaling. The kind of writing that I've been avoiding and that I've been really wanting slash avoiding at the same time, if that makes any sense, to get back into is the kind of writing that results in an end project, whether it is about me, um, like a memoir piece, or whether it is a short story, or a poem, or a novel, or whatever. Um, that's what I mean when I say really pursuing the work of writing, because that's what's been my my passion from the start. And that's what I focused on in college was the short story, both studying it and creating it and it's been almost 10 years and it's been a couple false starts like there have been times in my life where I've been like all right I'm gonna get back into writing and I'm gonna submit my work to these literary journals and all that and it's hard to keep all of that organized and to do the work when I'm also was also in the middle of my teaching career and relationships and different transitions all the time. There's never a right time to start this thankless job of just sitting your butt in a chair for however many hours it takes every day to hammer out some sort of piece of something that you feel is good enough to get sent out for submission. And that last part is the key is that, um, you know, it's one thing to do the work, but then it's another thing to put it out there. And this is just me, you know, there are some people who I'm sure will be perfectly happy just doing their journaling or writing, um, whatever they want to write and publishing it online or on their blog. And that's great. And there's no judgment here. Um, but a little over a week ago, last Sunday actually, I had one of my classic Sunday meltdowns, which I'll talk about more later on in the episode. But what made the difference was that I was honest with myself and also honest with Doug about my actual goals. And I have tried to supplement my actual goals with other things because of fear. 
Like I've tried to get into other passions and think, well, maybe this will take care of my goal to be a published writer. You know, and some of those things are worthy passions and they still have place in my life, like tarot and knitting and songwriting and even this podcast um, and even the blog I started, although I actually decided to not continue the blog right now in service of my bigger goal. And I got really vulnerable, like I'm going to get really vulnerable right now with Doug and myself and said, you know, what I really want to do, what I really want to put like a lot of my, most of my creative energy towards is writing short stories and sending them off to literary magazines to try to get published. And he had no idea that that was the goal. Like he was very aware that I want to be a writer or, you know, that I consider myself a writer because you can consider yourself a writer without being published yet. But he didn't know that it was that specific. And it's not like I'm in a codependent relationship where like he needs to know every detail about my goals. But trust me, it makes it a lot easier. It makes the relationship a lot stronger and it makes me feel a lot more empowered to chase after this goal when I know my partner is like fully aware of all the specifics of like, no, I don't want to just self-publish on Amazon. Again, no judgment for those of you who are doing that. It's a great thing that we can do that, but that's not what's going to fill my cup or fuel my fire or whatever. So I got really specific about it and and then I got out of my head about it and I was like, okay, it's not enough just to just to say it out loud, I have to now do the work. And so I have made some rearrangements to like what I do every day. The blog is no longer a thing because I have to give something up to have the energy to pursue my goal. And having a blog with like, a, even if I had like thousands and thousands of followers, it would not fulfill me as much as getting a story published like in the New Yorker okay like that's a long shot but just as an example and so um, you know I don't do tarot every day anymore I do it you know when I have the time and I've been getting up and just writing first thing uh, it didn't happen today because today I'm doing my podcast first thing but I've been writing first thing and because of that within a week of writing like two hours a day or so, I hammered out this first draft. And don't get me wrong, this first draft is trash. It is utter trash. I don't even know what the story is really about yet. Each time I try to rewrite the draft, it turns into something different. But what matters is that I did finish something. It's, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's garbage, but it exists. And I would much rather have a garbage first draft than still just be sitting in my chair being like, well, I want to write short stories. And so that's where I'm at. I have dubbed 2020 the year of rejection letters. I've actually dubbed the entire decade because, you know, we're starting a new decade. 
So I'm like, it's just the it's just the decade of rejection letters. I'm gonna give myself ten years. Okay, that's how. I don't know. I don't even know the word to describe how that is. But um, I'm just taking that from like Nashville. You know, saying that it's a it's a ten year town. I know that I just have to do the work on my own without anybody else caring about it for me to even have something that I can put out into the world. But I know that that is what will make me most happy. And I just had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, like there are, I have a great life and there are plenty of things that I'm happy about, but there was this underlying grime of misery in my life that I wasn't pursuing this. And now that I am, it's not like it's all kittens and rainbows, but there's, I just feel so much more alive and it still sucks. Like sometimes I'm writing and I'm like, wow, this is, this is utter garbage. And I don't even know if I'm going to use this, these last five pages that I've written, like probably are just going to get thrown in the garbage, like the literal garbage. But I just feel so alive because I'm not suppressing that thing inside of me that wants to do that. And this goes back to like that Astro Deck card that I pulled, the eighth house, which is about, you know, like the whole thing about the eighth house in the guidebook description was about not playing small and, and getting intimate with the world. And so for the next 10 years and, and beyond, but at least the next 10 years, I'm going to write these short stories and submit them and put them out in the world. I'm going to live the writer's life uh, by, you know, actually reading those short story magazines because you really make a, it's like a big mistake to just like submit stories to magazines that you don't even read. So I'm going to just like fully live the writer's life and yeah, do the work and put it out there. And so my small victory is just like that first small step that I've taken. I feel weird even talking about this because I know that I'm so far off from actually having anything to show for it. And I get really scared about talking about things that mean a lot to me when I don't even have anything to show for it yet. But I think that's kind of the whole point of this podcast. And, um, and yeah, like as I go through this whole writer's life thing, I'm going to continue to do my podcast because that's um, this is still important to me. And this was definitely doing this podcast made me realize that doing this podcast isn't enough, if that makes sense. You know, because I thought, oh, oh, I have to write for this podcast. Maybe doing this podcast will tamper that need in me that is like miserable when I'm not pursuing that that goal of being a, of writing, being a published writer, but it didn't, you know, but I still, that doesn't change the fact that I still love doing this podcast. So yeah, small victory. I finished a rough draft and there's going to be a lot more hours of my butt in a chair, a lot more rejection letters. I just want to, I just want to accumulate as many rejection letters as possible because right now I have none. And that means I've been living life on the safe side, if you know what I mean. Girl is soaking in self-doubt 
So my self-doubt this week has to do with, am I just a garbage person? And to be more specific, uh, rage issues, my rage issues. I, I don't know. I'm, it's, here's the thing. First of all, Sundays, I have a tendency to have major freakouts slash meltdowns on Sundays. Back when I was teaching, I attributed it to the impending work week and um, just like as a teacher, you're often doing work on Sundays. So you're doing work on Sundays, but then you're also getting ready for the work week, like mentally, but then also you're at home and it's the weekend. So you want to spend time with your partner or you need to do laundry or go grocery shopping. So like everything kind of compiles. And so I have a history slash tendency of freaking out on Sundays. And Doug is the person who gets the um, injured in the freak out. Like, um, not physically, I'm not a domestic abuser, but because he's the one around, he becomes my, you know, quote unquote whipping boy or whatever. So it's often nothing that he does wrong. It's me freaking out and taking it out on him. Um, not always. Sometimes I really do just like, or I have in the past just like cried in the middle of the living room, but sometimes it is after me being like a total just bitch to him. And, um, you know, I haven't been teaching for a while now, but I still sometimes freak out on Sundays so much so that like even Doug is like, oh, what is it about Sundays, you know? And it's not always that I'm even, I'm actually, it's like never that I'm actually mad at him. It's that there's this compression happening inside of me and I let all of these things get to me and then I take it out on him. And I, that happened in like a really big way this past Sunday and everything's fine. Um, you know, I apologize for my behavior and we're moving on. And I, this is not like something that's wrong in our relationship. It's something that's wrong with me. And I know you're not supposed to say those kinds of things about yourself that like something's wrong with you, but that's what I'm saying. And I don't know what it is about Sundays. I also don't know what it is about me having a hard time being nice to the people that I love the most. Like, cause this happened when I was a teenager too. When I was going through really bad anxiety, I was really mean to my mom. And, you know, you could brush it off as like typical teenager stuff, but like I was, I was doing it because I was having anxiety and I don't know what it is about how I internalize anxiety and shame that makes me 
be mean to other people. And it's like really frustrating because I've been doing lots of quote unquote work on myself and sometimes I still fuck up. (laughs) And I guess I have a hard time dealing with that. And, um, you know, I, I give, I give a lot of shit to like other people in my head, not out loud, but like to other people who are repeating bad patterns, they're not aware of it, or they are projecting their own inner turmoil onto other people. But the truth is, is that I do it too. And I'm a fucking human. And I'm feeling really bad about it right now. I feel like sometimes I just have like really bad anger issues. Doug and I got into this whole thing about my wedding cake or our wedding cake and how I'm baking it and I'm baking it on Friday and there's obviously a whole schedule to baking the cakes and making the frosting and letting the cakes cool and then frosting the cakes and then also on Friday I'm going to get my nails done and um, going shopping for other stuff or whatever and I did not communicate clearly enough to Doug about something with the schedule and the cake but I thought that I did, but he thought that I didn't. It was like an utterly stupid fight, but I got so worked up and I was so mean, yelling to him in the car, cussing, and then we fought about it on the way to grocery shopping and then we like paused to like go buy groceries and then we kept talking about it on the way back. And when I got into the house, I was like so overcome with rage not even towards him at this point because all he wanted was clarification about a cake. Um, At rage at, here's the thing. At this point, it becomes more that I'm mad at myself for losing my temper. It's like, why the fuck do I spend all of these minutes in meditation and everything if I'm still gonna just lose my temper just because someone didn't understand me the first time I explained something? It's so frustrating about me. Like I'm so sick and tired and frustrated of myself and I don't even know if this is good content right now because I'm just like bitching about myself like how stupid is that even but anyway I don't even help put the groceries away I went into our bedroom and screamed into the mattress like a five-year-old child screamed so much that my throat was hoarse I think it was actually beneficial I think I might scream more um Doug also said that giving me a cookie helps and that he's just going to carry cookies around especially on Sundays and whenever I start to lose it he's just going to offer me a cookie but you know what I'm 34 years old you shouldn't have to offer me a cookie just for me to act decently and so that's that's the problem I have and um and Doug's little phrase when I get like a tone or an attitude especially on Sundays is he's like just be nice And not like in a condescending way because there's a lot of baggage with that phrase, be nice, that I know women especially might be like, um, no. He just means it like literally, just like, like be kind. And he's like, why is that so hard for you? And I'm like, I don't know. Why is that so hard for me? Why am I so like, why can I be completely 
kind and considerate to an absolute stranger like the cashier at Trader Joe's or somebody that I see that comes to the clinic. But the person who I'm building my life with, I can't treat like a person, like a person. Like what kind of fucking person am I? I've said person like five times. So that's what I'm dealing with. Like I said, everything's fine. I feel like something something and again this I don't like talking about the thing before it's actually happened but I feel like something has kind of shifted inside of me and I really did like when I you know when I apologized to Doug for my behavior I was like I don't think this is gonna happen again and he was like okay yeah he's a very kind and forgiving person and so he kind of was just like yeah okay um He's like, I'll believe it, you know, when it when it's actually happening, when the not happening is actually happening. But I really do like feel different about it. And well, I know I can't have a meltdown this coming Sunday because it's the Sunday after my wedding and we're having a brunch and everything. Maybe I will have a meltdown, but it will be like an actually valid meltdown, like, oh my God, I have to make eggs for 25 people type of thing. And so I don't know. Um, I wish this could be a little bit more inspirational or whatever, but the truth is that like this is the grimy gritty work of being a human is like shining light on those parts of yourself that you don't like very much and accepting them anyway. So hi, I'm Erin and I have rage issues and I'm super impatient. And if I have to explain something to my fiance more than twice, I fucking lose my shit. Not all the time though. It's just like, like most of the time I'm a perfectly reasonable human being um but it's that like it's those exceptions that are so extreme that then tend to define me and make me feel really bad about myself and I don't know I guess this is part of the process of loving yourself and accepting yourself but evolving to a higher a better version of yourself, even with the accepting. And I think it actually, actually, you actually can't change until you accept yourself. As backwards and counterintuitive as that might seem, the acceptance actually has to happen first. And I think that's what I'm struggling with because every time I lose my temper, with Doug, I get so angry at myself even more so than anything else. And it's a really, it's a really hard thing to come back from to like actually forgive myself for my behavior. I don't know where I'm going with this. I guess it's just a process and life is a spiral. All you talk about is sandwiches. Talk some more.
All right. So for my sandwich, I'm here's the name. Hippie tomato sandwich. I know. It's a terrible name. End of the decade tomato sandwich. I don't know. I spoke in previous episodes about wanting to make a full-on tomato sandwich and this week I did that although I you know made it my own and I'm going to explain the justification behind this is that mm, I kind of was like straightforward with my other topics didn't get really woo-woo hippie metaphysical so I don't want my listeners to forget what a freak I am so I better go woo-woo with my sandwich side note I heard from my sources that when put to a vote, I was considered the most normal out of my cousins on my dad's side, which I'm not sure how to feel about. But also, if you met my cousins, you'd realize it really isn't saying much. I mean that with love. Uh, Actually, you have met one of my cousins, Maeve. So, yeah, it was just... It's just a random thing. You know, normal is subjective anyway. So this tomato sandwich is not just a regular tomato sandwich. This is a magical, hippie, crunchy tomato sandwich um, for several reasons. One, because of the add-ons that I put. And two, because of the metaphorical significance that I put on these add-ons that I will then now explain to you. So I started with Dave's bread, as always, because if I don't eat Dave's bread, am I really me? So this time I used a bagel, but not the pumpkin spice madness bagel. This is called the plain awesome bagel. And it's a plain bagel, but it's awesome too. And uh, yeah, it's just like a, a white bread bagel, plain awesome bagel. I used mayo. I did not toast it. I thought about toasting it, but here's the thing. I was really hungry. I didn't want to wait for it to be toasted because here's the other thing. I had this sandwich for my breakfast because that's how dedicated I am to the production of this podcast is that I didn't even make breakfast. I had this sandwich for breakfast and I was too hungry to toast it, which ended up being the right decision because it was perfect room temperature with like the slightly cold tomatoes in the mayo trader joe's mayo can't go wrong with that Ooh, i should have had a pickle with my sandwich that would have made it even better but i didn't but if you're gonna make the sandwich have a pickle with it too and have a pickle from trader joe's kosher dill pickles organic kosher dill pickles they're the best pickles they they can't like nothing else compares um the tomato that i used was roma tomatoes I actually, speaking of how dedicated I am to this podcast, I did not have any in my house. So after I finished recording the other segments, I got on my bike and I rode to Earth Origins, the neighborhood grocery store, and got some tomatoes. And let me tell you, this sandwich made me very happy because the bike ride made me rather unhappy. It was cold and drizzling and I did not dress appropriately. It was a quick bike ride, but I did not dress appropriately, and it was drizzling. But then I came home and had the sandwich, and it was like summertime in my mouth. And so that was great. Um, 
So the tomato I used was a Roma tomato, which I sliced and then I sliced those slices into halves. And so then I just put them in a spiral around the bagel. Salt, lots and lots and lots of salt. And the mayo, generous, generous with the mayo. All right, now here's where we get into the hippie part. Hemp hearts, AKA hemp seeds, but I guess it sounds cooler to call them hemp hearts. I added some hemp hearts because they were a cool texture and a taste and they also have nutrients. Um, the significance that I put, the magical charms that I put behind this is that, you know, we're at the end of the year, we're planting seeds for our future. You know, especially with winter solstice coming up, um, it's this is a dark moon time. It's the time to really clear out what you don't want to take with you into the next year, into the next decade, and plant seeds for what you do want to grow and nourish and sustain. And then after the hemp hearts, another layer of salt, because the salt is really important in case you haven't gotten that figured out yet. After the hemp hearts, nutritional yeast. Okay, you got to, guys. Nutritional yeast is like the fairy dust of any self-respecting, crunchy family, as I strive to be. And it's it's magical in and of itself. I don't even need to give any magical significance to nutritional yeast beyond that it's also fairy dust. Like there is no metaphor. It is fairy dust. And it also tastes like cheese. And it's also good for you. And then a little bit more salt. And I did not do this open-faced. I put mayo on both sides of the bagel and then built the sandwich, put the top on. It was really good. And the great thing about these bagels is that they have some protein in them too. As a mostly vegetarian person, protein is something that I am mindful of. So these bagels uh, had 11 grams of protein. So that was great. So yeah, this is the tomato sandwich with a magical alchemical end of the year end of the decade twist and i my only regret is that i did not have a pickle with it safe 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 spaces so this week's safe space is simply put getting out of your head and What I mean by that is instead of thinking or instead of just thinking, the doing part of it. This is a little bit more of an abstract safe space than I've done before. So another way that I put it when I was first brainstorming for this segment was turning anxiety into action. I've been having a lot of excuse me, anxiety about just like different planning things, like wonderful problems to have as far as just like my honeymoon and my wedding and the cake and the brunch, privileged problems to have. But my anxiety is still valid and I still feel it and it's what I'm experiencing. And so my safe space, the way that I've been coping with this is just turning that anxiety into action. On Monday, I went to Target to pick up a few things for our travels and just to for prepping 
for the wedding, aka sheet masks and clay masks because got to get that skin right. Um, and facials are too expensive. And um, and then I was talking about to Doug about like whether we had enough layers because we're going to Southern Utah for our honeymoon and it's going to be freaking cold there. And I was starting to kind of have a panic attack about like having enough clothes and like spending money to buy these clothes. But then, you know, oh, I would need these clothes eventually anyway, because we have plans to actually move to Utah next year. So I don't know. I just was like, okay, I need to stop. Like I, and I also needed lunch at that point in the day. And I had like severe decision fatigue because I'd already been shopping for a while. And so I was like, I just need to, I'll go back into Target And I'll see what I can find, like another pair of sweatpants, like joggers, another layer. And I did. And then I and then I went home. And instead of just like having anxiety about whether I had enough cold weather clothes or whether those cold weather clothes could fit in the appropriate suitcase, I just fit I just figured it out. I just went ahead and tried it out. I my I'm like, okay. I know it's a week until I leave for my honeymoon, but I'm going to start packing now. So like I started putting together my travel size toiletries and I started pulling leggings and sweatpants and long sleeve shirts. And after that, I didn't have anxiety about it anymore because I had done something. And I know that not all anxiety is that easily fixed, but I'm just grateful that that particular anxiety was easily fixed and... I just got out of my head about it and I just did something and I felt a lot less anxious because at the end I knew, A, I do have enough clothes to make appropriate layers to be appropriately prepared for the cold weather and B, all of these clothes will fit in the right suitcase and I have my travel size containers ready to go and everything's going to be just fine. Um, Another example of turning anxiety into action is what I already talked about in my small victory segment with, you know, my life's work, you know, as a writer. And instead of having anxiety about like, well, I'm 34, am I really gonna make it, like quotes, make it, like, um, it should it, should I even bother like trying to do this? Um, the answer is yes, because otherwise you're just going to have anxiety about what else you've done in your life uh, otherwise. And you're going to have resentment towards your husband and your kids because those things will be great and they're part of what you want, but they won't feel like enough if you're not pursuing the thing that you feel like you were actually put on earth to do. And again, I know it sounds dramatic. i I'm almost sorry for the drama, but not really. At this point, like this is this is episode nine. You, you know, like I'm going to come with the drama sometimes. So that's what I've been doing. Again, I'm only a week into it and I I plan on keeping it up and I hope that I can keep it up, but I don't know. I will let you know what happens. But a week into it, you know, waking up, peeing and then like literally just putting my butt in a chair for two hours um taking breaks every 20 minutes or so because sitting is the new smoking and you've got to like move around a little bit 
But that was anxiety turning to action. And even though I'm not a published writer yet, and it might be years before I become a published writer, I feel immensely more alive. I say alive rather than happy because happiness is just an emotion that comes and goes. And I don't always feel happy when I'm writing because sometimes that shit is hard and I don't know what to do next. But I do feel alive. And if that isn't what I'm here to feel, I don't know what is, you know? So I feel like this is... To go back to, you know, how I feel like the mundane acts of living can be so magical, like uh, making food and cleaning and doing the dishes and doing laundry, like all those things that we put on our to-do list of like, oh, I had to do it. Like I try to see them as magical and they're almost like spells that I'm casting in my house. I see this same thing happening when I take my anxiety and I try to put action behind it. There's this alchemical thing. It's like this magical act. It's like I'm in McGonagall's transfiguration class, you know, because my anxiety, it, it and it has, it goes back to accepting, like what I was talking about in my self-doubt segment, just accepting those parts of you that are ugly and terrible um, is the first step to, to changing them and, and living with them in a more healthy way. And so my anxiety, you know, is not being suppressed when I choose to write instead of feel anxious. My anxiety is not being suppressed when I choose to start packing early instead of just thinking about what's going to happen when I pack. Instead, it's actually being accepted as a valid like signifier. Like, oh, okay, thanks, anxiety. Um, I'm going to do something about this. I'm not going to go into a thought spiral or just have shame and and be paralyzed by fear. I'm actually going to do something about it. And I think that anxiety likes that just fine and they're and it's pretty happy about that because, you know, it's still being listened to. It's still being taken into account as a valid uh, state of being. Um, another example of turning anxiety into action is yesterday, sorry if that hand motion just made a noise in your headphones. Yesterday, Doug found out that our honeymoon flights had been canceled. And we don't know for sure why, but we're pretty sure the reason why is that they're cracking down on people having um, all of these miles to use for flights. And um, what, what people, including Doug, has done is not illegal or anything but it's frowned upon which they signed up for multiple accounts for the same credit card and they get this sign-on bonus and they're able to use the points and we haven't paid for an air an airplane flight in like several years so we were able to use miles to book our flights for our honeymoon but then apparently american airlines has cracked down on this whole process and they canceled our flights and there's a lot of feelings attached with that. Like, wow, is this a sign from the universe? Are we supposed to just sit at home and watch Netflix for the week after we get married? Like, does the universe have something better in mind? It's There's a lot of ways you can react to this, but um, Doug reacted with action, and he, was, he just booked us new flights with consulting with me about, you know, whether he, I thought this would be a good idea. We went back and forth about it a little bit, um, but he booked us new flights, in a different airline and those flights um, cost real money so that was 
unfortunate and unexpected expense. But I mean, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm probably not going to be like, wow, I wish I hadn't spent that $900 on our honeymoon. If we didn't, I'd probably be like, wow, I wish we had gone on that honeymoon that we already had all the lodging for booked and like all of the sightseeing and hikes planned for. So you can always make $900. You can't always make memories. Cheesing. So cheesy. Um, But yeah, you know, Doug just flew into action. Haha, <laughs> flew. I didn't even mean for that to happen. And he booked us new flights. These flights actually ended up being not better as in like, you know, more cushy because American Airlines is pretty nice and it's going to be a bummer not flying with them. But um, they're direct flights, so they're a better use of our time. And so I'm pretty stoked about that, that we still have a honeymoon to go on. And that's anxiety turned into action. So again, this is not, it's a little bit more abstract. But, and again, I want to honor the fact that some anxiety just renders you paralyzed and that's valid. Uh, depression, which is like the other side of the coin of anxiety. Sometimes you just, sometimes you just can't even get out of bed and I honor that. But um, I just wanted to shine a light on a particular type of anxiety that when taken into account and when action is associated with it, just magically kind of drizzles away into something else. And afterwards, you also have things done. Like, I'm almost already packed for my honeymoon. And I have a bunch of pages written that some of those pages, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with them. But they're written. They're there. So, safe space. Getting out of your head. Turning anxiety into action. I ought to feel special Here's a shout out. This week's shout out goes to an American treasure, Kurt Vonnegut. Now, Kurt Vonnegut is my favorite writer, but... I'm not a completist. I do not claim to have read every single book that he's written or every different book that's been written about him or compiled posthumously. And I want to take this moment as an opportunity to assert that just because you claim to love something does not mean that you have to prove your love by like knowing every single word to every single song or having read every single book and having thoughts about every single thing. Just like we put, I feel like we put, I don't know who we is, um, and I'm sorry for popping my peas. I'm still getting used to this new microphone. Um, but we, I'm just going to say we, put a lot of pressure on pleasure. First of all, we have this concept about guilty pleasure and how there are some pleasures that are more worthy of being out in the light than others, which is just tomfoolery. And I've spoken about that before. I'm not going to get into it right now, but there are no guilty pleasures. You like what you like. But then there's other pressure put on pleasure where if you claim to be a fan of something 
some other fan of that thing is going to be like, oh yeah, well, did you read this one? And do you know about this one? And did you know that he had nine toes and like a lost cat on his birthday? And um, I think that's a bunch of hogwash and tomfoolery too. And I think that pleasure should just be pleasure and you shouldn't have to prove anything. And, you know, there's a whole thing about like fake fans or whatever. And I just feel like if you're, if you and somebody else like the same thing, you should just be able to enjoy that and not try to one up each other and be like, well, I got this signed poster and well, I have this uh, record or I have this picture with him. Like, let's, let's, let's be happy that we like it. But in an effort to prove how much I doth love the Kurt Vonnegut, Vonnegut of the Kurtz, I did um, want to say that I am such a fan of Kurt Vonnegut that I don't just read his fiction, which is what he's most well known for. I'm actually a huge fan of his nonfiction. And I've also, I do have one book that, is written like about him, but it's a series of letters composed between him and a former student. It's called Love As Always, Kurt, and that was a great read. Um, I have like hard copies of Cat's Cradle, Breakfast of Champions, and Slaughterhouse-Five that are like the standard publishing editions. But then I've also found, um, I have two collections of his nonfiction Uh, One of them is Palm Sunday, which I really love. And one of them is Wampeters, Foma, and Grand Falloons, because he makes up words, and it's great. I can't remember which, or maybe both of them, I think I found actually in the Strand bookstore in New York City. So basically, that's what I do anytime I go to a bookstore. I always just go and see what Vonnegut they have, because part of the reason I'm not a completist at this point in time yet it's just because some of some of his books are a little bit harder to find, or you can find them on Amazon. But like I'm, I have a thing about buying Vonnegut in real bookstores, and that's just what I like to do. I also have this book that came from Seven Stories Press, which is where his latest book came from. Um, also, but it's called Like Shaking Hands with God, and it's just a, it's a written out version of this conversation that he had with another writer about writing, which is what really gets my rocks off. Let me tell you, I love Kurt Vonnegut's writing about writing. Don't get me wrong, you know, like I love Slaughterhouse-Five and Cat's Cradle. Cat's Cradle literally makes me laugh out loud. Um, But I love his writing on writing. I also have on my Kindle, I also have Galapagos, and I also have A Man Without a Country, which is my favorite nonfiction by him. And I just don't even—I'm not even gonna try to explain it. It's just so great. And then um, Doug actually has a hardcover copy of his collection of graduation speeches, and it's called "If This Isn't Nice, What Is?" And that's nice too. If it's not nice, what is? Um, that phrase comes from something that his uncle used to say and just like realizing a happy moment when it happens to you. So what I'm reading right now though is this new book that came out I think at the last month, at the beginning of November. 
It's called Pity the Reader, which is one of Kurt Vonnegut's rules for writing. And this is, uh, the subtitle of this book is On Writing with Style. And so it's Kurt Vonnegut and Suzanne McConnell, because obviously um, Kurt, Von- Kurt Vonnegut is like the Tupac of American uh, writing, and he still is publishing things, even though he's not been alive for a while. Um, but he just has, he left behind a lot of unpublished stuff. Plus, he just has writing every which way all the all, in all these different corners. And so there's all different collections that you could make. So this is a collection specifically on his thoughts and ideas about writing. And I happened to see it at Poetry and Prose, a bookstore in Washington, D.C., that we were spending some time in um, when we went up to D.C. for the Eric Church concert. And I asked Doug to get it for me for my birthday. I was like, forget whatever else I asked for. I think it was like a tarot deck. I was like, I want this. It's like this huge hardcover book, bright orange, and it's lovely. Um, I'm trying not to read it too quickly, but kind of failing. I've already read through it a lot. But it's just a compilation of these different things. And Suzanne McConnell's writing is in here too. She's kind of like the person who's guiding us through all this. And it's just Kurt Vonnegut. I just want to give you a shout out because you're the you're the real MVP. Okay, Kurt Vonnegut, you're the real MVP. And I just want to I didn't plan for this but I just want to like read some of the things that I've underlined from here um oh this definition his definition of a writer really got to me so a writer actually this is Suzanne McConnell's writing but it's based off of things that Kurt Vonnegut has said so a writer is someone who is willing to be uncomfortable enough or is uncomfortable enough by nature to wonder where people are, where they're going, and why they're going there. A writer is willing to take risks for that wondering. A writer cares that much about his or her subject. And so Kurt Vonnegut is very opinionated and very straightforward about his opinions when it comes to writing. And, you know, he talks about how to be a successful writer, you you don't need to want to be a writer. You just need to care about something. You need to have passion for something. And obviously reading this book has really helped me get back into my own writing. Um, and so I just want to give a shout out. I'm actually not going to just read things I underlined because I don't, I'm thinking that's probably not going to be the best quality content. But this new book that just came out is a wonder. It's made me cry a couple times. Um, After I finish it, I'm probably going to go back and reread Cat's Cradle and reread Slaughterhouse-Five and also read some of his other books. Like, I haven't read um, Player Piano or Mother Night, and there's a few other, like, early novels that I still need to read. But, again... I still claim Kurt Vonnegut as my favorite writer. Um, Doug, actually, he used to get me a back-to-school present, like, for my classroom every year. And one year, he got me 
a piece of driftwood with a Kurt Vonnegut quote like carved into it. And it's a quote from Slaughterhouse Five. I should have grabbed it before I sat down to record, but it has to do with like, um, here we are. I think I think I think I'm gonna get this right. Here we are in the amber of the moment. There is no why. And so clearly, my love for Vonnegut is evident enough that my boyfriend would get that quote etched on a piece of driftwood. Also, Doug is just very observant too. But yeah, I did go. I haven't. I need to get back into reading some of his fiction because, again, it, it makes me laugh out loud. So you could even say that Kurt Vonnegut has been my safe space too. But this is not the safe space segment. This is the shout-out segment, and I definitely want to give a shout-out to old Kurt Vonnegut, a white man, problematic, as most white men are, but a great writer, and... Gosh, if he were alive today, what would he be saying about President Trump? One can only imagine, can only imagine. All right, that's it, little babies, and toddlers and teenagers and full-grown human beings. I want to mention, actually, that, you know, I was talking about my writing and everything and um, how I came clean to Doug about my actual dreams. And so I asked him to give me an assignment because I needed help getting started. And so his first assignment was two pages of a draft of a story and the consequence if I did not submit those two pages was that I would not get to make a new episode of my podcast because he was kind of the one who helped me have that conversation about like okay well you can't do everything you have to be um, intentional about your energy and your time and where you put those things and because like I said I still enjoy making the podcast it helped me make sure that I had those two pages. And now I have much, much more than two pages. It's For now, it's not the question of producing the pages. It's the revising and figuring out what the heck to do with all that. So we're here. We made it to the end because I did my two pages. I want to thank you, the listeners, as always, for listening. And my brother, Ethan, for the music. He is on Spotify now, which is awesome. And um, he's also changed his name, uh, his music name, to Love Tana, L-O-V-E-T-A-N-A. So you can find his music on Spotify. He also still has music on Bandcamp um, under Verdondi. But, you know, the Spotify thing's a big deal because when you listen on Spotify, it gets a little bit of cash thrown his way, you know. If you'd like to email me about whether you are sometimes a garbage person as well, my email is selfdoubtsandwich at gmail.com. And you can find me on Instagram at selfdoubtsandwich. I'm not going to tell you about my blog anymore because, like I said, I'm not going to be publishing new posts there anymore. So this is my 
by not telling you about the blog, I'm still kind of telling you about the blog. So this is my last time really mentioning that. There are a few pieces up there that I'm proud of, but they're not where I'm putting my energy and time anymore. So that's just, it's going to exist, but it's not active. I do also have another podcast with Doug about the show Parenthood. It's called Becoming Braverman. And last but not least, if you would like to, please uh, rate, review, subscribe. All those things take very short amount of time and it's free to do it and it just helps me and my podcast out. All right, uh, stay groovy. Till next time. Hey, so I just wanted to come back real quick and let you know that I am taking a break for next week. Next week is the week of Christmas, and it's also the week of my honeymoon, and so I will not be making a new podcast, but I wanted to let you know that, and I wanted to say Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Holidays, Happy Winter Solstice, Happy everything and anything, whatever you're celebrating, and Happy New Year. And I will be back with a new episode and new guests in the new year. Cheers.